Leadership is inspiring folks to move forward when it's probably tough to move forward. Um, sometimes that may require a kick in the rear end. Sometimes it may require just calm presence. It really is situational dependent. But I think what I've learned over time is going through those experiences provides perspective. That was Tony Hoffman, and this is Guild Stories. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we will explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Well, welcome back. Another episode of Guild Stories, and as... Um, we're fortunate and has always been the case, uh, another great guest and another incredible story. Um, so we're here today with retired Army Colonel Tony Hoffman um, and super pumped to, to, I know a bit in, and bits and pieces of your story and your journey, but eager to unpack it further. Um, Tony, I feel like I need to call you Colonel Hoffman, just <laughs> to, to be frank. Like I'm, I kind of am insecure <laughs> about calling you Tony, uh, but you've introduced yourself even in our building this morning as Tony. So uh, if you're cool, that I'll call you Tony. Justin, you got to get over that insecurity, man. <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, Roger. Um, but uh, author, hundred mile athlete, husband, dad, cool gig now. A lot of interesting things in in your journey that we're going to unpack. But um, uh, welcome, and we're honored to have you, man. Justin, thanks for the opportunity. Pleasure to be here and uh, get to connect with you face to face with appropriate social distancing, of absolutely, course. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, get to get to talk to you and yeah. uh, tell my story with you. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a neat one. E- even from kind of the distance that I that I know you, we had a great conversation a couple weeks ago, kind of to prep um, and got introed through a, a mutual colleague and and um, eager to eager to learn more myself man I'm, I'm really fascinated by what you're up to so uh, it's it's complicated and there's lots of different layers to it but if you could like cannonball us into the deep end of your story um, and give us a quick intro of, of who you are and what you're up to that would sure. be fun sure Justin uh, kind of want to go back a little bit where I'm from uh, I think that is uh, kind of who I am today absolutely uh, grew up in rural Minnesota a uh, town of 715 people. Bam. Graduating class of 34 in uh, Bruton, Minnesota. Uh, I refer to that because those roots really kind of live in me today. Of course. Uh, of great course. place, uh, humble beginnings. Um, look back now, father had his own business okay. that is still in business today. Wow. A transmission shop, maybe the oldest in the state of Minnesota, if not the nation. Wow. Started in the 50s. And he's still active in it? He, he passed away oh, okay. years I'm ago. You, no, no, years ago. But yeah. the person that he sold it to um, took it over when I was a kid. I was about seventh or eighth grade. And now that Dang. person's son has it. So they're going on, they'll be approaching 70 years. Unbelievable. And mother was um, from Germany, grew up mm. in World War II. Mm. Um, so combining those, I hadn't really thought that much about that. But uh, entrepreneur spirit, uh Mom grew up pretty tough. Her father yep. had passed away, and she was helping raise two young kids with a yeah. widow at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the strictness uh, in the family came from mom. Mm-hmm. Um, dad was a entrepreneur uh, and with a with a business that still flourishes today. So Crazy. those were the roots. Um, Siblings. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, sister, okay. a couple of years older, tremendous. We were very close uh, uh, with both parents having passed away. We're um, 
we, we keep in touch. Uh, my sister Anita's out in uh, the Denver Littleton area. Cool. And we're very tight. So, uh, uh, you know, grew up there. Uh, great place to grow up. Yeah. Didn't really know any different. Rural area. Mm. A lot of farming community, etc. And uh, I decided to um, want to put myself through college. Um, I'm the first college graduate of our family. My sister did, has done great. She's going to retire mm. with, um, been with Great Clips over 30 years. Oh, wow. So uh, one of the originals there uh, has done tremendous. Um, I wanted to put myself through college. And uh, so I thought a way to do that was uh, the military. Mm. Um, so under what's called the delayed entry program, I enlisted in the U.S. Army my junior year in high school with the um, contract that after graduating my senior year, I would go into the military. Two-year enlistment, goal was mm-hmm. get out after two years, go to college, probably in Minnesota, and continue on in life. Um, well, as you know, and a lot of your um, the folks you interview and yourself, life doesn't always yeah. uh, go uh, exactly as planned. The and path that was, is not always yeah, linear. <laughs> absolutely. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, while in um, advanced individual training, after basic training, I took the opportunity to go to an education center mm. and look at what opportunities there were to maybe go to the military academy mm. and um, ended up applying to the U.S. Military Academy Preparatory School on my own. Um, my first duty assignment was down the road here in Kansas at Fort Riley. Interesting. So in between those two, I was um, in route to Fort Fort Riley, mm-hmm. had the application in, and was accepted uh, about a year, or maybe a year later, at the U.S. Military Academy Preparatory School. So it's a prep school for the academies. Each of the military academies has those. Um, went there. It's a 10-month school. Uh, and then uh, earned an appointment to West Point through uh, Congressman Arlen Stanglin from the state of Minnesota. So kind of a circuitous route to get to the military academy and I guess ultimately to college. Uh, But, but it worked out well and I was uh, fortunate enough to be, um, to be accepted uh, with a nomination for, for appointment to the military academy. What, what this is for for a guy (laughs) like you, a dumb civilian question. (laughs) What does an an appointment to West Point in that, that process look like? Like what did, what, what was that? Yeah, each of the congressional delegation has X amount of uh, slots to appoint. And then there's other ways, uh, but that's the majority of the folks who get accepted at the military academies are through a congressional appointment, either through a senator or congressman or congresswoman. Okay, okay. Um, There are a few slots, or there used to be at each of the military academy preparatory schools as well, uh, but primarily it's through a nomination process through a congressional delegation member. Mm. So pretty stringent process, and um, I have not been involved in the selection of those regionally, um, but I know people that have, and, and right now, and back then as well, very competitive. And when sure. I'm looking at the, the, what these young adults are doing to get into any of the military academies or even the ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Programs at uh, other institutions, uh, it, it's amazing. These, these young adults are high powered. So pretty competitive process was back then more so now. Crazy. Yeah. And then that experience at West Point for you was, was what? Uh, it, it was, well, I was a little more prepared having okay. been yeah. enlisted and gone through a couple years of either uh, basic training, advanced individual training, and been in a, in a regular unit at Fort Riley. So probably more mm-hmm. prepared for that. Uh, academically, given where I, we had 
great academics where I grew up, mm-hmm. but certainly not what maybe some of the larger schools and institu- uh, and other high schools had for some of those. So, um, and the, pre- the prep school prepared me sure. for that. So I'd say academically a bit more challenged, um, but ready, probably more ma- mature-wise. I was a little bit older, a couple of years older than an 18-year-old coming out of high school. Um, so the expectation of the folks who had been enlisted before that were um, at the academies was a little bit higher to maybe mentor and show some of your your peers that were coming in out of high school. There was an expectation of a bit more leadership role mm-hmm. to help them uh, in the process. Um, so four years, uh, tough. I mean, um, the academics, uh, I mean, you're typically going to graduate in four years. Uh, and then the other extracurricular activities that they kind of expect out of you uh, as well. Um, the other thing, Justin, with the academies and um, is, you know, everybody's coming out pretty good athletes, mm-hmm. pretty high GPAs, and you're all on a level playing field. So um, there may have been some great athletes, but, okay, everybody's a great athlete. Everybody did well academically. So um, you're kind of all the same. And now it's yeah. a matter of um, – uh, that's great that you've got a lot of folks at a um, at, at, at a similar caliber, um, but you know there's some uh, competition, and that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I again forgive the civilian reference here. My, my exposure to West Point is very limited, um, <clears throat> but I had a good buddy who we worked in the sports marketing department at the University of Missouri together, and then I went down to the University of Memphis, and he went along to um, West Point actually because they they were a the uh, the company we worked for, Learfield Sports, had the rights to Army's football program, so they did the radio broadcast and the signage in the stadium and everything else. And and he, and Will's a ter- terrific guy, um, but he was like, man, there's nothing like a Saturday at West Point. Um, and, and I forget, I forget the there's like an actual event there's a thing pregame i think they they march yeah they just march on okay. uh a per- parade essentially early in the day where all the corps cadets does yeah. uh does a ceremony a ceremony and a, and a parade prior to um usually earlier in the morning and then there's a couple hours before the official kickoff at mikey stadium yeah and yeah. he said man like it, it is and not nothing to do with politics he's like the pride that i felt as an american citizen in that and and he's working there right but like he was like it is unlike anything i've ever experienced it was so cool so yeah i think it's good for folks to see that i don't certainly push that on folks um but it's the public's military academy it's not you know it's for the public and the public supports it so uh, and there's a lot of tradition there i mean at west point's 1802 uh, i believe naval academy's 1852 uh, obviously air force academy in the in the 1950s if i'm not mistaken so uh, not so much, in uh, a lot of what the Air Force Academy is based off of was either for uh, West Point or Annapolis. So mm-hmm. a lot of history tied to those institutions, but more importantly, um, it's the publics. Yeah. And, and that's uh, the, the folks that are um, graduates there are serving the nation and the public. And I think it's important the public always realizes that. And, and, and the cadets that graduate from there, they're there to serve the public. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> so, so you spend four years at West Point, yep. um, and again, I, I can't like, uh, I don't want to fast forward. To, I know what you're doing today is so powerful yeah. and amazing. But uh, what was your kind of early military career, and and how did that um, kind of unfold as you went along your your path? Yeah, um, kind of an interesting. Uh, 
traditionally you come out of, um, say, West Point. I'm talking in the Army now. I can't speak as much to the Marine Corps, Navy, and Air Force. Um, but typically, um, after graduation, you go to one of your um, branches, and you'll know what branch prior to graduation from West Point. In my case, I was an engineer, so I chose engineer branch. Uh, there's infantry, armor with mm. the tanks, um, field artillery, judge advocate general, a variety of branches. And um, that selection process is you put in your preferences, and a lot of it's based on grade point average and other aspects that all come into play on to where you rank. So if you're not very high in your class, you're probably not going to get the branch, your first selection of branch. Uh, I, I wanted engineers uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, I wanted the kind of... Um, Oh, rah-rah, uh, yeah. hua a front line of infantry. But I also thought, hey, I'd like to have a skill if I should ever want to get out. Not that an infantryman or infantrywoman now would, would ever not have that. But I kind of wanted the balance of both, mm -hmm. uh, front line things and a skill set. And I was very fortunate to, to branch uh, engineer. From there, you go to a, a basically a school. And each of the Army schools is at a different installation. Uh, in the case of engineers, is Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Mm. For about six to six months or so of what's called your basic course. And then you go into your regular unit with the expectation that you're probably going to be what's called a platoon leader in charge of about 25 soldiers right off the bat and all Jeez. the equipment and the assistance of a family. And so typically you're in your 22, 23 years old and really thrust into a, a immediate leadership position, but that's the expectation and, and the knowledge that you're going to do that. Um, so, so I call, um, you know, like West Point's a leadership factory. I mean, in, in, in that's a lot of other aspects to it as well. Once you do that, um, prior to the, after the basic course, you may have the opportunity for schooling, uh, additional schools. In my case, I was, uh, I signed up and competed for Army Ranger School, and um, so you talk about a glutton for punishment. Oh, um, yeah, I'm like, man, uh, I, just, I um, studied communications <laughs> at Mizzou, man. <laughs> I feel so. <laughs> um, but, and and you, you don't have to go to those, but I, I wanted uh, that challenge, again, physically and mentally, and it, it, it met, the, met the bar. Um, luckily graduated from Ranger School and then went to my first unit, which happened to be in Europe at the time. Jeez. Uh, the wall had just come down in 89, um, I was there, uh, got there in 1991. So it was really a unique time to, sure. to be in Europe with East, Eastern, East Germany at the time coming into one in unification with Germany. Um, a lot of military units that over time downsized on the U.S. side of the house based on that unification and uh, had the opportunity to do some travel. Did also a lot of field activities, uh, training, et cetera, and really kind of honed your craft in the, in the field of combat engineering. Um, and traveled when I could, but, but most of it was in the field, uh, in, in the military, doing, doing your job. The other piece um, that was neat, I, I did get to, to, I deployed for the tail end of Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Wow. So now we're going back way back in time. Mm -hmm. And you got a taste of, uh, of combat. It wasn't hard combat at the, where, when I deployed at that time, but did get a taste of, you know, the deployment in this case into uh, Kuwait for, for myself. And, um, and that was a great experience um, in terms of learning and honing your craft. Um, did three years in, in Europe, came back, went to what's called the advanced course, and then uh, spent time at Fort Carson, Colorado in another leadership position as a company commander, as an Army captain. 
uh, met my wife there. Okay. Um, yeah. She yeah. was a, a army nurse, spent 10 years on active duty wow. and two years on the reserve side. Uh, Susan, mm. uh, we've been married 25 years this, uh, awesome. this December. That's so, awesome. uh, qu- quite a journey there and my partner in life. And, yeah. um, and, I continued on in the career, was going to get out of the military, actually, mm-hmm. as a lieutenant, had my paperwork in to, to get out, um, got cold feet, pulled it, mm-hmm. as an Army captain, considered getting out, uh, took a hard look at that, it ended up staying in. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as with a lot of careers, uh, they throw some carrots at you, in this case, it was grad school, went to grad school, got a master's degree in construction management from Colorado State University. And of course, there's no free lunch, keeps you in in another three, you know, another, uh, another uh, six year, say six year commitment for that education, which was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Continued on career. Um, Eventually uh, went to the command and general staff college at uh, up the road here at Fort Leavenworth. Yeah, Yeah. And, uh, and that's when really things were brewing in, in Iraq. Um, finished there and uh, went to uh, Fort Riley, Kansas in uh, 2002. And of course, um, Iraq was, was brewing and um, happened to be one of the first units uh, from my Fort Riley unit to be in Iraq before it officially kicked off Jeez. and was on the border with, um, and one of our missions before we even went into Iraq in uh, March of uh, 2003, uh, had an army captain. There were a bunch of uh, obstacles on the Kuwaiti border that that um, the Kuwaitis had put in um, to prevent folks from Iraq coming over at the time. And all of those had to be what we call pre-breached for the coalition forces to roll in. So here we are. Um, really not even officially kicked off until March of 03. I've got an army captain out on the border working with contractors to pre-breach those obstacles. And, um, and it's kind of a unique story. And, and uh, obviously, we all know what transpired with Iraq and what transpired after 9-11. So we were one of the uh, tip of the spear, really, at the time. 14-month uh, tour. Um, our daughter was born our second child was born at the time so missed that birth oh due to my that gosh, um, crazy not complaining about yeah, that yeah, yeah. it's part yeah. of the, part of the yeah, job sure. um, and uh, and my wife Susan obviously had uh, our son Nate 4 years old at the time and then Abby our daughter was born so it kind of goes back to not to get off topic no. but the role of the military family that oh. often gets um, doesn't get get the uh, press that it deserves in terms of what the uh, male or female spouse goes through uh, along with the military member. Well, you, you could show me an unending loop of the military return YouTube videos, like, you know, dad or mom coming back yep. and surprising the son at the school or the m- wife at the airport or the, um, you know, daughter at the, at the, in the backyard. I mean, it is just, there's nothing more, you know, in a, in an instant connecting to that human emotion of yep. like, um, the service and the gratitude, and, and I, I, I told you this on the phone, but I'm very grateful for your service. My, my dad uh, served in the Air Force. My father-in-law served in the Army. Um, my middle name, Emmett, uh, is my great uncle who served in World War II, has a Purple Heart, and um, and obviously all sorts of, uh, he's passed now, but all sorts of stories and, and, uh, and, and moments of sacrifice. So thank you. Oh. Uh, as you. As you tell your story, as you've, you've kind of woven this timeline together um i'm just struck by the 
the the humility, of course, but also the, um, yeah, went to ranger school. Yep, went to grad <laughs> school. Yep, did did commander training at Fort Leavenworth. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like each of those in in and of themselves are like insanely powerful moments and 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 required all sorts of tenacity and grit and dedication oh. and um and effort i'm sure well thank you and thank your family for their service i mean it uh you know kind of a stat a lot of folks don't know about um 0.5 percent of the u.s population serves on active duty 0. 0.5 0.5 wow. percent and about seven percent of all veterans whether it's world war ii korea vietnam iraq afghanistan about seven percent comprised I don't mean that derogatory mm. because it's an all-volunteer force now. And, um, mm. and so it, it just puts in context of totally. uh, the amount of folks. Um, 93% of the population ha- has not served. That's okay. Yeah. Again, it's all volunteer. But yeah. it's maybe a perspective of not understanding each of those worlds, either from the military member understanding the non-military or vice versa. So uh, it continues to be a challenge, and it's a it's a, a – a uh, gap that needs to be bridged by both uh, both sides because um, there's so few that are serving, and that's okay. But mm-hmm. but it's it, it does continue to be probably something that both sides have to recognize as yeah. things go on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you mentioned again fairly nonchalantly <laughs> that that you're the tip of the spear in Iraq, and and and, and I, I legitimately don't know what this means. When you said that there were obstacles on the Kuwaiti border, yeah. and, and I, I don't know how I always like hesitate asking uh, guys who've actually done this real sacrificial heroic work uh, while I was like you know in in college playing video games. Sure, <laughs> um, yeah, like you, you're you're the tip of the spear. Like you're talking about contractors removing obstacles. What is that? Like big concrete blocks? Like is that? Yeah, there were. What um, is that? The Kuwaitis had set up an electrified fence to prevent oh. folks from Iraq coming into Kuwait post um, uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Mm. I didn't, frankly, until we got there, I didn't know all that history. Uh, on other sides, there were tank ditches to prevent large armored vehicles from coming right, in yeah. and coming in. So all of those had to be pre-breached. Uh, to in order for when the the word was given the orders were given to go into Iraq, that it would be a little bit easier for the the coalition forces to go across the border. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a story that doesn't get told much. Um, again, I wasn't I, I was helping coordinate the planning efforts, but Army Captain friend of mine Chris Miller, who who got out of the military, West Point graduate, mm-hmm. um, we were allowed to bring one set of civilian clothes over. And he was in that same set of civilian clothes every day, working with <laughs> Kuwaiti contractors, and working to make sure those that obstacle um, chain was we call breached, so it was ready for when the word when the order was given to Man. go in, basically un, unopposed at that portion in, in southern um, southern Iraq, which is yes. what transpired. Um, it's a story that doesn't get told as much, but. Sure. Um, Amazing effort by Chris and, and others that truly on the front lines as we planned that piece. And, and again, um, certainly didn't know what would transpire. Everybody thought that would be a very quick uh, piece at the time. And, of course, um, it, didn't, it didn't transpire like that over, over the years. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's, I appreciate the context. It's super helpful. Is that a group, like how big was the deployment? Is it 12 people, 50 people, 1,000 people? Like like that pre-group, what would that look like? Our unit was uh, a couple hundred folks that was, um, let's put in the context, that was, would be in charge of 
other brigades. So we had a headquarters element that then they would insert units under us. We'd provide the headquarters supervision. Uh, yeah, a brigade, um, gee, roughly a brigade of, of, of folks, uh, soldiers, is probably roughly 3,000. Okay, uh, division like Fort Riley, First Infantry Division, probably about ten thousand. Jeez. So, so um, it really depended on what our particular mission was at the time and which units would fall under us. So, you're talking large scale uh, operations, and again, um, we that that was our role mm. at the time, and of course, it shifted at different uh, times of what that mission would be in, in our in then a fourteen month tour in Iraq, and, and things really changed dramatically. Um, o- over that 14 months and then continued to change as each iteration of various units came in and then missions would, would shift where th- there were some really, really tough fights later, uh, um, Ramadi and all the other things that you've probably heard about. So it really depended on the time. For us at the time, it was getting across the border, getting to Baghdad, and along the way, um, you know, weapons of mass destruction was the big deal that everybody was c- kind of searching for. Uh, what wasn't being searched for were weapons caches, etc. And they were um, there were small arms and ammunition across Iraq, and um, because folks were looking for weapons of mass destruction, a lot of that was just bypassed, mm. and eventually, a lot of those same things were utilized for improvised explosive devices against uh, against coalition forces. So. Um, Unfortunate how some of that transpired, uh, not from a political perspective, but just the reality of how quickly things were moving at the time, uh, getting to Baghdad and then waiting for that next mission and what that would look like. Gosh, dang, yeah. man. What are the what are the emotions at play as as you're on is that story is unfolding in real time? I mean, it's one thing to like sit on your comfy couch in your basement and watch a movie on Netflix about that. Like you, I, you know, like people, I'm sure the 93% like me love those stories and, and are proud and grateful, but it's, you know, you're watching it on, like you're living that real time. What are the emotions that are at play? Well, I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to over dramatize sure. anything. Um, I think, you know, combat is, you know, it's a real deal and you sometimes don't know in the case of, say, a 24-hour period, it could be just a period of minutes where it gets maybe hot and heavy depending on what situation everybody's in. In a lot of situations, most are not probably confronted with that sort of thing. In the movement north from Kuwait into Iraq, uh, one of the areas we went through was what was called the Karbala Gap. So I think it was about a 5-kilometer to 10-kilometer. So, you know, 5K is about 3 miles. It was a gap where... um, one of the, the situations was that Saddam Hussein's forces at the time, we thought they were going to utilize chemicals. Uh, to, to, um, it, was a, it was an area to get vehicles through. It was confined by land on either side. And the projection was if you're going to stop the coalition forces, you would probably utilize chemical weapons to do that. Nothing transpired, thank yes. goodness. But um, going into that, you have um, what's called uh, MOP. It's chemical gear. And it was the only first time, I mean, I've trained for it, but where you're actually and putting on your full gear and putting on your chemical mask and thinking, wow, I mean, this could be it. And, and of course, a chemical-type um, attack is a whole different ball game, And we were prepared for it. Uh, I think the feeling at the time was, I guess this is it. 
we're going in and it was kind of, I wouldn't say business as usual, but this is our mission. Jeez. Let's do it. And it never transpired, mm -hmm. but the feelings were, wow, uh, to get, we'd call it slimed, um, mm. you know, potential for that. And what does that mean? And, and you've trained for it, but to actually be, you know, kind of confronted. Mm -hmm. And again, it never occurred on that particular portion of the mission. Mm. But, uh, you know, um, Parker factor is pretty high. Mm. And um, mm. I think <laughs> the training prepares you for that. And you're going to trust the training along the way to, to, um, to keep you safe and um, hopefully out of harm's way. Mm. But you just sometimes don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just <laughs> so interesting. Uh, and, and you think about, like, the the leadership, you, you called it the leadership factory, right? Like at West Point, but that, that the coordination and the, um, not the neglect of the human emotion, but kind of this, um, yeah, like business, business as usual is like me waking up and open up and opening up a laptop, right? <laughs> like business as usual yeah. for you is like, no, cool. Like put the mop suit on and let's rock. Um, and of course not to ne neglect or minimize the, the emotion, but that, I think that, that, ability and, and I know this has been a big theme of your life is that leadership component and that gritty um true authentic um desire to like bring out the best in folks um man what a what a vivid example of that well I think you know in retrospect what I've learned and I I can ramp up pretty quickly I think over time as I've gotten a little bit older um try to keep a more steady hand on things but those who know me especially earlier in my career I could you know go from zero to 60 pretty, pretty quickly but I think um, there's a calming factor um, leadership is inspiring folks to move forward when it's probably tough to move forward um, sometimes that may require a kick in the rear end sometimes it may require just calm presence it really is situational dependent but I think what I've learned over time is going through those experiences provides perspective and um and that perspective I try to utilize in my current role, my current job as a, the public works director, City of Overland Park, not comparing apples to apples with combat and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. But I think um, having the emotional intelligence and um, keeping things in perspective that in my current role, it's not life and death. Um, and um, and that utilizing those lessons learned over time to maybe put into the context of what you're doing today. Well said. Well said. So your 14-month stint uh, tour, as you call it, I think of a tour as like, man, Michael Jackson went on a tour. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. the, you too had a tour. Yeah. Like you you had a, uh, a combat mission. Um, I, I always love the, the language that military folks use because it's, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's intentional, but it's beautiful, and, and it's really powerful the way you describe that. Um, so after that 14-month stint, what yeah. what what life look like? Uh, came back, was due to depart... Uh, Fort Riley, mm. ended up uh, going to work with the Army National Guard and Reserve because they were looking for recent combat experience because the Guard and Reserve hadn't really been yeah. deployed on a massive scale. So they were, at the time, uh, engineer branch and the Army was looking for folks with experience recently because, mm. remember, this was the, the whole kickoff of Iraq and really Afghanistan as well. Um, so putting those lessons learned back to help prepare the guard and reserve to deploy. So I spent two years in St. Louis with a variety of units mm -hmm. preparing to get them ready. I mean, remember these are not, these are civilians yeah. that are guard national guard and army reserve. 
that are now going into um, into the meat grinder, you know, Jeez. and getting ready for, for really real combat. I mean, it's it's a the real deal. So it was fortunate to kind of put those lessons learned for that two years, um, and then obviously there are selection processes based in your career for um, selection to the next rank as well as maybe selection to what's called command positions. At the time, uh, I was then um, selected, um, thankfully, to uh, the rank of lieutenant colonel while I was in that position, and also selected to uh, for command at the lieutenant colonel level, um, and was selected to command uh, kind of kind of a veer off from the front line with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Mm. So very quickly, um, the difference there, Army Corps of Engineers is part of the Department of the Army, 36,000 folks, about 800 military, and the rest are non-military. Okay. Um, so a lot of them, they do civil works, military mm. construction, and environmental. Mm. Uh, there's 46 districts. Think of it as a kind of a regional headquarters, and they're commanded by a military officer, yet primarily uh, civilian. Interesting. Yeah. So in the case of uh, my next assignment was in uh, Walla Walla District of the Army Corps of Engineers out in Washington State, uh, responsible for about uh, 800 non-military. There were probably three or four military, including the command position. And that really goes back into a quick history piece of West Point at the time in 1802 was a concept of President Washington. Mm. Why? Uh because they needed to um, a, a core of engineers to build then a fledgling nation. Mm. And in 1802, uh, Thomas Jefferson, third president, was the one who actually started the military academy under his watch. But the goal was to produce uh, military officers, to, all engineers at the time, to help then a fledgling nation and build the country. Interesting. That same context remains today with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, commanded by a military officer, either a lieutenant colonel or a colonel, um, but primarily uh, non-military civilians. So a little bit of mix there of, um, you know, being, uh, of, of being in charge of non-military personnel, but still having kind of the mission set of, of a military. Sure. Yeah, no, it helps, helps even... A, a a knucklehead like me think like wasn't isn't Table Rock Lake a core of engineers? It, it is absolutely. So like, yep. everybody always says that I'm like I don't really know what that means. That's exactly like, what that is. So that would fall under Little Rock District of the Army Corps. Got it. And probably it's managed by uh, career civilians, probably that are Department of the Army civilians that work for the Army U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Good. So yeah. Essentially, the 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 lesson is. Uh, let colonels direct dummies like us no, <laughs> in terms no, of how, no. to make, how to make business work I, I, in a healthy way. <laughs> actually, actually, what I'd say the lesson is um, the the continuity of the Army Corps is are the civilians that work there. Interesting. Yeah. The military come and go. As a lieutenant colonel, you're there for two years, and as a colonel, only three. Uh, when I was in uniform, I thought, oh, that's a long time. Having been in my current role as public works director in the city of Overland Park, I've been there six years this, mm. this week. Mm. Um, really, the continuity is not there with the military. They come in with a fresh set of eyes, but from a business aspect, may, may not have as much experience and really takes the mm. uh, non-military that are there for years to help, you know, help shape that through the leadership of the military officer. But the continuity is those those non-military folks yeah that's smart yeah. so w was it there where you ranked to colonel 
Um, what was that path? Well, again, it's a it's a path with uh, yeah, obviously got to perform well, and um, and and it was never about making rank uh, for for me. It was about serving and doing the best you can. Uh, Which is probably why you made rank. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that was up to the army, and it was a separate boards for promotion and for command. So did two years there. um, Came out and and. was later by a certain time frame you you are in the zone for a consideration for promotion, and then it was eventually selected for the rank of colonel, and um, um, for me, thankfully, was selected for command as well, mm-hmm. and it happened to be in Kansas City, so the Kansas City District of the Army Corps, and um, came to this region in 2010 for a three-year tour to to. Um, to command the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Kansas City District mm. from 2010 to 2013. So that's what brought us to this region. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's awesome. That, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, and, and this, yeah, that, that's really helpful to understand. So KC as colonel till 2013, is that when you retired from the military? I did. Was, okay. okay. Retired. Um, it was uh, some phenomenal events as we chatted earlier, uh, 2011, again, First year in command, uh, t- two things happened. Um, two big things happened. The Joplin tornado in yeah. May of 2011, uh, which I think it was 162 folks perished. Uh, fifth worst tornado in the history of the U.S. Um, and we were called in, although it wasn't our geographical area. We, they, be, I guess they now, the Kansas City District, were called in to say, uh, hey, through F- Federal Emergency Management Agency, you all are going to be in charge of Jeez. the cleanup. So that was a no notice. Um, it was a Sunday when the tornado happened. Yep. Uh, my friend counterpart up in the Omaha district, the army Corps, I remember him sending me a note saying, Hey, did you see what happened in Joplin today? I said, I said, yeah, uh, that's really in the little rock district of the army Corps." And I and I actually reached out to the commander there saying, Hey, if you, you need assets, you know, we we're certainly here to help. Well, uh, two days later, it was the, the rose was pinned on our organization, and Jeez. the Parker factor got real high uh, because it's a no-notice event now that you're going to need to mobilize your your uh, non-military folks to get things started and start moving debris and everything else mm. for the cities of Joplin and Duquesne, Missouri. Um, and we got through that. Uh, and the, and the, you, were, you specifically were in charge yes, of that? Yes. Yeah. Holy yeah. smokes. What, what, through the Federal Emergency sure. Management Agency that then utilizes the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for those purposes. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, that transpired. Um, was <laughs> I don't want to just brush over. That, that was a major item. Great folks uh, mm. did great work for the community there, and, and that got that kicked in. And uh, at the same time, uh, maybe a couple weeks later, there was record Missouri River flooding up north. Um, some things transpired weather-wise that was, at the time, the worst flooding in the history of the Missouri River Basin. And all that water was coming down from um, Montana through um, North Dakota, South Dakota, et cetera, and then into the Kansas City area. There are six main stem dams up um, in the northern part, uh, you know, Montana, all the way through, through North Dakota. Those are in the Omaha District of the Army Corps. Okay. But there was so much water that releases had to be done or those dams had the potential to, to collapse. And, of course, all that water's coming down the Missouri River sure. into the— Coming downstream. Uh, yeah. Coming downstream our way. And, it, it, I mean, it was, um, 
it decimated uh, mm-hmm. Northwest Missouri and other portions up, you know, north of Omaha, et cetera, at the time in 2011. My boss, uh, uh, retired General John McMahon, tr- tremendous individual, he, he obviously kept us apprised along with the water resource folks that were managing this, and we knew this thing was coming. Mm-hmm. So he said, hey, you got to get Joplin on track, get that moving, and turn it over to your folks. I need you up here to assist with, with the organization. And it wasn't just me, it's the whole organization, but, um, we got what we call the flywheel. I call the flywheel, the Jim Collins piece, getting that in motion, turning it over to to the folks, um, a deputy commander, et cetera, at the time, et cetera. They handle that mission. Not that I wouldn't be maybe engaged on it, but we had bigger fish to fry with flooding in, in the Missouri River region. So bottom line, 2011, um, you see some gray hairs. It's probably because of 2011. <laughs> um, but, Justin, uh, I don't chat too much about my previous uh, life in the military because that's not who I am anymore. But I will say um, probably my proudest moment in uniform was helping the organization get through those uh, two, disa- two disasters simultaneously. Sure while um, executing a a billion-dollar program in civil works, military construction, and environmental. So so, um, that remains to my my 26 years in uniform as really the proudest moment of really being challenged. 25% of your workforce, either in down in Joplin or helping with Missouri River flooding while you're executing the rest of your your program. And it was challenging. And, And to the credit of the organization, did very well. Mm. Uh, they they, mm. they did an exceptional job, mm. um, and really got to learn politics. Not that I wanted to learn about it, but yeah. you're called into the go- governor yeah. Jay Nixon's office uh, in you know in Jefferson City. You're talking to senators, congressmen, congresswomen, etc. Um, and and I get it, um, but but it was kind of an exposure, fortunately or unfortunately, to to politics. Um, and, you know, some very candid conversations with folks. And I saw some great leadership on the congressional delegation side. I remember one time my boss and I got called into then Governor Nixon's office. And, um, and he said, hey, you're doing a great job. I just can't tell you that publicly because of what has transpired for the people in Missouri. And I get it um, because they were devastated uh, due to water that was released. Mm. Um, um, just really Mother Nature played a role in that. But 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 I, I really understanding of what you know kind of some of the political things that have to transpire. Man, that's powerful. <laughs> uh, man, that's un- that's really that's really cool. You, you mentioned you know that's the, the the military piece isn't isn't well hit the mic. Um, part of it, it is a huge part of your story. Yeah. It's not who you are today. Um, tell it break break us into that season of your life in terms of the you know you hung up the uniform after 26 years, um, and you started kind of this next chapter of your story. What's, what's that chapter? Sure. Uh, tough decision. You you know, uh, when do you take yourself out of that mix? Um, for us, it was, a it was a good timing for a variety of reasons. We're in the Kansas city area. Um, kids in school flourishing, good schools in this region. Um, never knew we'd end up in the Kansas City region, now in Overland Park, which is where we settled in 2010 when we got here, with the expectation of continuing to serve after the, the three-year tour. Um, definitely the right decision for us, and it was a family decision. You know, I, um, Susan would support me either way and the kids, but I thought it was the right decision to give them the stability 
um, and they could have done well either way. Sure. And it was a good landing point for us in this region. Um, so sought uh, employment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, say retirement. I don't like to use that word because I'm not going to retire. <laughs> right. Have three kids in Too school much at the time. And yeah. Li- yeah, life ahead. And there's other things to do. Yeah. Um, so accepted employment with uh, Stantec, a large-scale architectural engineering firm. Uh, great company. Uh, did that for about a year and then w- was um, actually contacted about the City of Overland Park Public Works uh, director position. Mm. Was not something I wanted to pursue in terms of another career move after just a year starting a, a, another piece with Stantec in the architectural engineering world, but kind of did some soul searching on what, what's maybe the best skill set. And it, there were, seemed to be a lot more matches with what I had done as an Army Corps of Engineer District Commander to what we do in the city of Overland Park. The other piece, Justin, is I'm, I'm working in the city that I live in. Mm, so every day... Cool. Um, you have the opportunity to maybe make meaningful contributions to the community that you're in because you're working for that city in a, you know, it's 200,000 people, um, have the privilege to lead uh, 140 folks on a day-to-day basis and maybe utilize some of the skills that you, you leveraged in the military to, to the good of hopefully the good of the organization and the city of Overland Park. So that's what brought really to the transition point of where I'm at now with respect to the uh, the, the current career. And, and tell, tell me more, I, I genuinely don't know, tell me more about your department, what the responsibilities yeah. are, what the vision of of, of your, your, your new mission. Sure. Uh, what's that look like? Uh, city of Overland Park, uh, first great city. Um, you can Google it, and it's not just me saying it. Oh. It's a top 20 city in the nation totally. for, you, you name it, best place to raise a family, best place for on some entrepreneurship, et cetera. So it's not me saying that, and that history has been set since uh, May 22nd of 1960 when it became a city. Um, Our department is really, we do the dirty work that uh, often doesn't go noticed, but is necessary for the infrastructure of a city. That's my basic description. So somebody hits a a, uh, street pole, we have folks along with police that's going to clear that and Mm. put in a new pole. Uh, you know, asphalt paving, uh, about 30 to $50 million worth of construction each year. Uh, everything associated with the infrastructure of the city is our mission. And that's what our department is responsible for in, in summing it up. It includes, I hate to mention that four-letter word, snow. You know, we do get it once in a while <laughs> yeah. here. Especially so, the last couple of winters. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, uh, you know, we're responsible for the snow mission to help folks, first responders, get to and from, you know, primarily. And also help folks uh, get out and about to spur the economy and, and get people to schools, et cetera, under, you know, non-pandemic situation yeah. or, or conditions. So, so that's really our basic role. All infrastructure, all infrastructure for the entire city. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And, and, and it seems like, and, and again, I genuinely don't know the answer to this, it seems like this new season of your life has also allowed you... Uh, not that you have tons of margin by any means, but <laughs> it's also allowed you maybe to to begin exploring some other hobbies, uh, missions, um, uh, interests, organizational kind of kind of uh, um, involvement, and, and even as I look at your shirt, I'm like, there's so much awesome stuff that that I know beyond your proverbial, which I know it's not, but your proverbial nine to five. Um, I, I know that there's so much other things that are at play. So, like, what, what else is, is taking it ju- up some of your time? It is, Justin. Uh, you know, um, go back to the transition. 
a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Art DeGroat of Kansas State University, retired lieutenant colonel, he's actually, re- he did his dissertation on the military transition. And we met through some veteran channels here while in Kansas City. And in those dialogue, he said, hey, it takes about three to five years to fully transition as a, you know, as a 20 plus year military veteran. When I initially heard that, Justin, I kind of laughed. I laughed it off three to five years, but I get it. I mean, you are in a positive term institutionalized. Mm. I mean, you're part of a system for 20, in my case, 26 years. So it takes a while to get out of that, but I'm having fun right now. I mean, I'm with you. We're dialoguing. So I'm getting to see a different side while still maybe hopefully making meaningful contributions to my community and my current role. But I call this the side hustle. Um, and uh, it's a good side hustle. I'm not uh, obviously well aware of my, my day job and career and what it, what it entails. But, but you're, you also, once you're in a role for a while, you kind of know the peaks and valleys of, of when those times are going to come. And then you allocate your time in other areas where maybe you can continue to do, do good while not taking away from your career or family. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at right now. Um, part of that has been, um, I've been running marathons for, thir- I'm heading my, into my fourth decade of running marathons. It started in 1990. And that's always been co- correlated to what I did in the military. Had military had nothing to, to really to do with that. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that um, for for decades. But I have how many been, of you run? Uh, I think forty two marathons. <laughs> Come on, um, man. More importantly <laughs> than than the number, you know, the number's fine. It's the quality of them, and, and I always gauge the marathoning. Mm-hmm. Boston Marathon's gold standard in my book, and. I've been fortunate to be healthy enough to run that 13 times, um, <laughs> including 12 in a row. This year was virtual, but um, I'm proud of that because you that's should. a high standard. It's, I'm not an elite athlete, but that role uh, has helped me mentally. The physical piece and sure. putting yourself through that grind has been important for me during that transition. It's always been a constant, mm. okay? Mm. Uh, not ahead of family. But you, you fit it in with, as you know, with, with um, spouse and, and kids. Uh, I try. It's a very selfish sport. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful not to over overlook the family. And you just squeeze in time to, to do those. Because I know at some point I won't be able to do those anymore. But today is not that day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's always that's awesome. been constant. In 2013, re- retired, officially left the military. I think it's November 30th of 2013. And not because of the retirement, but I'd always been intrigued by maybe up in the ante a little bit more than, mm-hmm. than a marathon. Um, and I'd always been intrigued by Leadville, Colorado and the Leadville 100. Um, Leadville's the highest incorporated city in the U.S. It's probably one of the original 100 milers. I think in 1983, it's called the Race Across the Sky. It started, this is back before Jeez. ultras were even really popular. I'd always been intrigued by Leadville for a variety of reasons. The toughness, the grittiness, mm. it's highest incorporated city. Um, they did training for um, military soldiers out there in world, during World War II. At Cooper Mountain, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah by, yeah. by we Ski Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, it is Ski yeah. Cooper. Uh, Camp Hale. Okay. Camp Hale yeah. was, and, and the, the folks who went through that Alpine training called Camp Hale. So there's a military component out there with Leadville, along with the mining. It, it's a tough city. Totally. Um, and I, I've always kind of liked that, that piece of grittiness. So looked into that, and um, in 2013 took the plunge. At the time, it was not a lottery. Signed up for the 100. So 
you're going from 26.2 to 100 coming in from 900 feet. Not exactly the smartest move <laughs> to make, um, but I didn't go in um, without preparation. I had done my research, and or I thought so. Of course um, and, uh, like any West Point grad would do. <laughs> yeah, ranger school and all that other stuff, so glutton for punishment. But but I, I want to challenge myself um, and put yourself on a journey to see, okay, c- can you can you do it? Mm. And I put the work in. And in summer in 2013, got out there. Um, it broke me. Um, it was it was tough. I wasn't uh, – I thought I was prepared mentally and physically. I was not prepared for the nutrition piece. And uh, ended up uh, getting pulled off the course at mile 60 because I didn't meet the time cut in 2013. Mm. Um, Kind of, you know, unceremonious end. um, And then made the decision in 2014 to uh, compete at the lottery. It was the first year of a lottery was selected. And then put myself on a journey to take lessons learned from 2013 in an attempt to – I wouldn't call it success because, I, I, you know, a lot of folks look at it as success or failure, making it or not. I'd say putting yourself on the journey there yeah, is right. the success. And and given the, the slim margin for error coming from 900 feet, I now recognize that um, things just got to go right for you during mm. that race, which mm. you have 30 hours to complete. So bottom line, 30 um, hours. completed Jeez. it uh, in 29 hours and 31 minutes. Oh, my God. And um, – had a great team, crew, uh, my brother-in-law, Tom, and, and others helped in that process. Uh, I don't think I would have made it, I, mm. certainly not without the crew. And, and it was quite a journey. So, so really, um, I guess it comes back to um, maybe challenging yourself on something uh, that you wanted to do and kind of seeing what your limits are, in this case, physical limits, physical and mental limits on a race that is a, kind of an iconic race. So that... that that then led, uh, as we've discussed, uh, my, my journey there uh, led to, wow, I've always believed the marathon is transformational for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, those, I, I believe most people can complete a marathon. They may not think they can. But I think the, the distance of 26.2 is changing. Maybe not life-altering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and, and I'm not dismissing 5K, 10K, half marathon. But the marathon is a different a different margin. Hundred is a whole different ballgame. Oh. Hundred is is um, is a different animal altogether, all um, and we can chat about that. But I think the marathon for somebody to go through the grind of uh, being disciplined enough to train for the marathon and then completing it, I think it's it's very um, life altering in some aspects sure. for folks. So um, took that concept and thought, wow, what about getting a team? to tackle what's called the Leadville Trail Marathon. They do a series of races in Leadville. They do a marathon. They do a 50-miler, a 50-mile bike ride, those are the Silver Rush 50, Leadville Trail Marathon, and it all leads up to the 100-mile bike ride in August and also the 100-mile run in August. It, it all of, It's called the Leadville Race Series. So I thought, how about getting a team together that would start and finish as a team as a kind of a camaraderie mm. and, and getting together. So in uh, 2015, um, had the right folks that I could convince over beer and barbecue <laughs> uh, in October combo. of 2014. <laughs> um, that uh, transpired into getting a team together of, um, I believe it was seven for the first year. And it led one of the team members, uh, now Army Major Dan Keezer, currently still in, okay. uh, who never wanted to do a marathon, 
um, he really spearheaded, hey, how about if we, we um, try to raise money for a veteran cause? And I said, Dan, knock yourself out. I'm not sure I got time as kind of the founder, administrator of Team Leadville. And we did. And we, we picked what's called Iraq and Af- uh, Afghanistan Veterans um, Association, uh, IAVA, mm. raised about $7,000 on a whim. Mm. Cool. But then we really locked in Justin in 2016 as Team Leadville. Uh, got the shirts yep. that you see here. Yep. Um, bright yellow shirts. Super cool. Called it Team Leadville, which it wasn't the first year. And really locked into, okay, what veteran cause are we going to do? The veteran suicide epidemic was really starting to gain um, mm. gain some more um, um, momentum in terms of people understanding awareness what the awareness yeah, yeah. of what the challenge was. And I knew locally there was a nonprofit called Warriors Ascent, a 501c3, that had a very successful program of helping veterans and first responders overcome post-traumatic stress. So we chose... To really tackle, I got I got tired. Uh, it was great for awareness of twenty or twenty two pushups a day, but it wasn't getting the job done. So we have latched on to our mission to mm. stop veteran suicide through Warriors Ascent so. and Team Leadville, and in the subsequent years raised seven thousand. The first year for IAVA, and the rest have gone to Warriors Ascent. Seventeen k, thirty five k, seventy k, forty thousand, and this year during pandemic. We did a virtual race, uh, including going out to Leadville. Susan and I ran that together cool. um, and raised uh, help through our donors thirty eight thousand. So oh total two hundred sixteen thousand over five over the six years of doing it, and that has saved one hundred eight lives. So we oh can honestly gosh. say so. That, that's oh. what that's a side hustle. Uh, as what as a, a power, yeah, yeah. Holy cow, man! That's so powerful. That's yeah. so powerful. I. I yeah, I mean, so many, so many questions. First of all, like, uh, I ran three miles yesterday. I thought I was gonna <laughs> pass out. Right? Like, I'm the, always recruiting the, for the next team, <laughs> Leadville. So, yeah. I mean, the, I'm the, gonna the, keep the, you in mind the 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 um, the tenacity and, and like kind of the mental. Um, our daughter runs cross country. Yeah. We, we t- I talked about it's this great. on a couple other other shows, but um, the the mental kind of challenge is it, yes the physical part is there and real and has to be in shape and all that stuff but like the the mental aspect is so much more of the, the place where she either gets hung up or, or overcomes right so the the fact that you leave a 26 year military career to then apply that kind of mental energy and capacity toward a hundred mile race and then not stopping there with like your own kind of individual pursuits but um broadening that to be yeah. mindful of of the community and sir is just such a such a powerful well, thing well if i may justin a couple things i'm really proud of is as i tell folks i appreciate that but without folks willing to join the team i don't have a team we don't have a team mm-hmm. and without donors we can't raise money mm-hmm. so it all goes hand in hand it takes a leader probably yeah takes somebody crazy to. enough to be yeah. the founder the admin that's that's me but um I think if you talk to, we've had a lot of repeat performers that have come back to Team Little. I've had two West Point classmates I hadn't seen in years that donated one year and said, I'll donate, but I want in next year. I'm like, no problem, man. <laughs> you come ready to go. And yeah. Je- those guys, Jeff Jack and Cam Worsham, 
I mean, these are what a great thing. So, so I think it's been, um, and it's not just veterans that are running. I've got a friend, Randy Cuccio. He's in his sixties, has had two major back surgeries. Dang. He's completed five of these with us, mm. and every year it's a grind for him because mm. uh, we start and finish as a team, and not everybody's of the same, say, physical. We, we, if we did it solo, you could run mm. faster, but it's hard to get five people across the street. <laughs> We've had up to sixteen people Good. on our team, which is tremendous. I'm most proud of the of the team and the donors, but I'm also proud that of the mm. 63 runners now, including the virtual in different areas, 11 first-time marathoners have completed it, and everybody's crossed the finish line together. Dang, that's powerful, It is. Man. I mean, 11, and if I may, um, Kara Goucher, former Olympian, ran her first Leadville Trail Marathon in 2019. Okay. Hardest event I've ever done. This is a mm. former Olympic marathoner. Mm. In 2018, former Major League Baseball player Eric Burns had a team supporting us, but they ran on their mm. own little team with this guy named uh, Lance Armstrong. He was out there. Yeah, the Lance Armstrong. He did commit to that. Wow. Um, along with um, Michael Kowalski and um, and a gentleman, who uh, Mitch Hall, who's a, a former Navy SEAL who helps Hollywood do movies. But they had their own small team. Point being, I did not hear him say this, but Lance Armstrong told Eric Burns, hardest event I've done since time trials of one of the Tour de France. My God. So it is not a gimme on the marathon. We don't set any speed records, but there is a time limit of eight and a half hours to complete it. So mm. very proud. Uh, sorry for the No, that's a great Very proud. And I've got folks that want to do it and challenge themselves, and we don't train together. They come typically from all time zones. All I ask them to do is, you come trained, mm-hmm. we'll get you across the finish line, and we'll tackle the altitude based on my lessons learned during the Leadville 100 on how to keep heart rate low and fueling and all the other things. So we try to apply all those lessons learned to folks who want to challenge themselves. That's amazing. <laughs> and, I, and I'd imagine that the the 200K plus, the 108 lives for words of sense saved, all, all of that is beautiful. I imagine the participants themselves, the 63, I think you said, folks have been on the team. I imagine their lives are transformed. I think if you ask them, I mean, there's a reason some of them keep coming back. I mean, two that have been there with me the whole time, former Army Captain Heather Bain, she works for Amazon now, and Mm -hmm. she's out in Denver, um, never ran a marathon prior. Mm -hmm. She's run six years in a row. Crazy. Dan Keezer, who was adamant never to run a marathon (laughs) while we sat at Jack Stack Barbecue in Overland Park and was not, he's like, I'm not running a marathon. Mm. He's run six years straight. Mm. So, so I think those are the testaments of why I think it's camaraderie. I think it's the, the cause. Um, I can't speak for them. Um, but, but some of them keep coming back. Others have drifted off, but they still support the cause. So it's been a, it's been a tremendous, um, tremendous piece Mm. for, for them, I think as well, to be a part of something bigger than themselves in some cases they come back annually yeah of course oh it's so powerful so in your in your spare time (laughs) when did you write the book well (laughs) i'm like i'm like like my goodness this guy well it's a fairly short book um you know it's about 80 pages but i actually wrote it after the leadville hundred in 2014 Mm. so i had it pretty much written in september of uh by september 2014 
what put me over the edge, why six years later, I didn't work on it for six years, but I had a West Point classmate who has written a couple books and published uh, through Amazon who really convinced me, you can do this. You've mm. already got it written. And once I kind of saw that process, uh, I said, yeah, th- this is a story that probably needs to be told. Yeah, um, you know, if it was just a, a 10K or, or something, probably not, but it's the Leadville 100. Mm. And, it, and it's led to what I call the Endurance and Grit series. So it's called Embracing Grit. Uh, a flatland veteran conquered the Leadville 100 Marathon, volume one of the Endurance and Grit series. Mm. Volume two, which I've really just started, is going to be about Team Leadville and mm. our relentless mission to stop veteran suicide. Mm. So, so um, that's what led to the book, but it took me a while, not because I kept writing, but I needed somebody to push me over uh, push me over the edge to, to say this can be done. When did you pr- publish it? About two months ago. Okay. Oh, yeah, so it, yeah, it's hot off yeah, the press. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> and what, what um, kind of lessons or insights or ahas, like in that bringing yeah. the book to life, what, what kind of took place in you that has been a, a neat lesson learned? Well, I think, um, you know, it's always that balance of being humble, but you, if you want, you want to tell the story, you got to talk to folks like you. Totally. And, and I hope um, what Embracing Grit does and all of the things we're doing, it inspires others to, to maybe look at bigger endeavors for themselves. So define what that, it, 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 that could be a 5K. It may be physical. It may be mental. It may be challenging them to do something that they didn't think they could do, putting the time and effort to do it, and not knowing what that end result will be. That, to me, is what the definition of grit is. It may not be the thing you're trying to accomplish as much as putting yourself on the journey to try to accomplish it. Whether, whether you're, quote, unquote, successful or not, it's putting yourself on that journey. So I'm hoping, it's inspiring to me for folks that have read it that they can put grit into action in their day-to-day lives. That that really is one of the main reasons I wanted to to write the book. Not for folks to, hey, if they want to tackle 100, go for it. It kind of gives you some lessons learned on how you can do that. Um, But the bigger picture is putting yourself on a journey, maybe to change yourself, should you want to put yourself on that journey. Um, and you may not know what that end result, you know, in today's society, we often look at, well, I need to accomplish this or it's not successful. No, I think putting yourself on a journey to see what you can do is the bigger piece than whether you end up accomplishing. Obviously you want to accomplish whatever you're trying to set out to do, but you may not know. I mean, when you're in uncharted waters at mile 60 and and you've done 60 before in 2013, but now you got 40 more to go. You you don't know what that's going to look like. So it, it's having the courage to continue on in your day-to-day life and just keep grinding it out. Um, you know, Angela Duckworth mentions this in her book, Grit. Uh, talent times effort equals skill. Skill times effort equals achievement. The key point is effort counts twice. Effort awesome. counts twice. And and I believe that. Um, we're not always going to have the perfect day. It's not always going to go our way. But, but if you continue with effort, um, I think in general, things will work out your way. That's so, so awesome. What, what, what are a few, if, if there are, I'm sure there are a, a thousand, but what are a few for folks listening who are like, yep, I'm in, like obviously <laughs> go by the book, number one. Number two though, are there a few practical applications? Like I'm just, I'm even as, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, how does this dude work? his day like does he get up at 3 a.m and does he go to bed at midnight like how does he accomplish this stuff like um, what are some practical applications to bring because i think your concept is 
so powerful and so profound and so purposeful. But like, how do how do folks that are maybe watching American Sniper on Netflix and not taking any action in their life? I'm being dramatic, obviously. Um, but what are a few practical ways that they could start moving I, forward? I think you hit it in one word. You said purposeful. What's your purpose? I mean, everything drives from there, and sometimes it just takes a, a, uh, the time to step back and identify what's really important to you. Um, you know, family, um, and from the family or, or and other aspects, but what is your purpose? From there, drive how much time and effort you're going to put into certain things and who you're going to spend time with. Uh, it, it gets back to, you said purposeful? Yes, I think it believes what is your purpose? And from that drives... How are you going to spend your time? Is it going to be effective use of your time? If it's not within your purpose, but if you haven't defined that purpose or taken a step back to maybe try to define it, because it may not happen overnight, um, but I think if you can define your purpose or try to lock that in, the rest will flow naturally. It may not be perfect, but that's where you're going to find yourself spending your time and your effort is going back to what is your purpose. Mm, That's good. I'm even thinking through like, I don't, I don't think most of us struggle with a an intellectual knowledge problem. I think most of us, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, there's more things we can learn, all that stuff. Um, but 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 it's like, man, I, I know it's probably not best for me to eat nachos at eleven thirty, right? <laughs> like it's not a it's not a head knowledge issue. It's a I do think that purpose is what can drive the behavior, can drive the the getting up and running on Saturday morning to do your long run or wh- whatever yeah. the training model is. Um, I, I just, I, I, I love how you, you started with the vision. The purpose is the thing. Like it is the one that can drive um, the change long-term, which is cool. Well, for me, Justin, I'll be honest with you. It took me a while to really take a step back uh, after the military. I had microfracture surgery on my left knee mm. in uh, 2015 and during that recovery, I took the time to maybe, and I don't have it locked in perfect, but I went through a series of a, a couple books, et cetera, that walked me through that. And it caused me, it gave me the opportunity to really take a step back and say, what, what is important? And I've tried to define my purpose as um, to inspire others uh, to self-improvement through action and word. Um, am I perfect at that? P- probably not. Mm-hmm. But, but it, but at least I went through the drill to, to try to identify that purpose, and that's what I try to live by as best I can. So to, to your listeners, I think I would just say take a step back and really identify what is important to you and what do you think your purpose is. It doesn't have to be running 100 miles. It doesn't have to be this. But, but really it gets priorities on where you want to allocate your time and effort. And then the other stuff, you may want to take some things off the plate. Um, it may be better to do less but do it better than do more and stretch yourself too thin trying to please di- different people, etc. So well said, be very man. intentional on what you want to, uh, where you want to apply your time and effort. Well said. I, I, I could legitimately ask you a thousand more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, we're going to have to do this again because I've already overextended my welcome with you. Um, and you've been incredibly gracious with your time. Before we wrap the final kind of five questions that we ask everybody, I, I'd just be curious, you know, to, to hear from a vision perspective, like not the next 26 years, but for you, your journey moving forward. Like uh, if, if, if you had the crystal ball, which of course none of us do, um, what do the next two, three years look like for you? I think, uh, well, first is uh, there's a big family commitment, and it's uh, our son is a senior in college. Um, 
Nate at Northeastern University in Boston, doing great. Awesome. Uh, our daughter's a senior in high school, Abby. And so it's a weird year to have a senior in high school, man. Twenty twenty is yeah. weird. Yeah, that's a weird. And it's a challenging time for everybody to a certain extent with what's transpired. But I think you know that initial focus is really on um, on assisting them as best we can to get them. Uh, get them ready for their next phase in life and mm-hmm. not by being a helicopter parent or anything else, but that's got to be a, a priority, I think, to, to help launch them into their next endeavors, et cetera, because that's a big step. Mm. Um, I think that's one aspect. I, I think the continuation of hopefully doing some good for the community and for folks suffering from post-traumatic stress is another piece. So those are really kind of what I call tactical level mm. pieces to continue doing good and maybe expanding that reach as much as we can here in the next few years. And again, I appreciate the time to be able to do that. I've got an article here from Lifetime Fitness um, that they were in the September version to tell our story. So it's probably part of that is to, um, to take some intentional opportunities to help communicate what we're trying to do mm-hmm. by folks that can really help take it to the next level Versus just a you know an engineer here who's not looking down. Uh, luckily, I'm not looking down at my feet when I'm talking to you like normal engineers, Justin. But uh, <laughs> but it's it's getting the word out on what we're doing with folks who can really help influence that in a positive manner as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that really answered your question, oh, but it's uh, maybe to continue to try to do try to do good things. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, we'll, we'll, at the at the very end, I'll, I'll ask specifically where people can. Get the book, follow along, sure. follow the website, all that fun stuff. Um, but let's wrap our five kind of kind of uh, consistent questions here that we ask everybody. So the the first um, would be, and, and I'm sure there's a million here that you could you could teach us about. But what's one of the most recent either books that you've listened to yeah. or read? Well, of course, embracing grit. No. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I was kind of find it on um, Amazon. Actually, I um, running with Sherman by uh, Christopher McDougall. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it's about, uh, you know, basically nursing a burrow back to health and then mm-hmm. running in Leadville, actually, Crazy. and completing that. But more importantly, it's about redemption and purpose and giving a purpose, in this case, to an animal, but also to some individuals that help with that race. So I like Christopher McDougall's books, Born to Run, obviously is, is bestseller, but mm-hmm. Running with Sherman is one I just finished, and that's it's a, awesome. kind of a neat, fun read. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm asking this question to a guy who is on the tip of the spear in Iraq. Uh, what would you do if you weren't afraid? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, I, I think um, probably trying to do more good for the community and others. Uh, the afraid piece is where you're allocating time. Is it taking it away from family or other folks? Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I imagine I know the answer to this question too. What's your favorite t-shirt? Wearing it. You got the bright, you had to put sunglasses on for the bright neon team led. You could give me the brightest. My my shoes now have neon blue, neon yellow. I love the neon, man. I love it. So well done. It's funny on this shirt, if if I may, um, I get get a lot of heat from one of our team members, Randy Cuccio, who hates the color of the shirt. Um, he cuts the sleeves off because he doesn't like wearing sleeves. He's run with us six years or five years, five of the six years. Uh, Point being, though, we have it for a reason, so you can see folks out there, and people know at the race that hey, you're the you're the folks with the yellow shirts. You're the team Leadville, so awesome. it has a purpose. Yeah, I love it. Um, what's your favorite place on earth? Uh, 
John Muir comment um, or quote, uh, the mountains are calling and, uh, and it's the mountains. I think anywhere in the mountains, Colorado, but not particular Colorado. I think it's the mountains it's where I get uh, the tough work done or I get to think, uh, decompress and, um, and I love them. I do too, man. I do too. And they, they do call brother. Good night. Yeah. I, you, yeah. I, anytime you see one, I'm, I'm going, okay. Uh, let me get up in there real quick. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, all right, last one. Um, when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, Justin, I think it's um, that you made a positive difference by utilizing um, the talents to, to, the, to the capability that you can well, and making the most out of uh, – I'm, I'm into trying to get the most out of what you, what you can uh, without overdoing it. But I, I believe um, we're here for a purpose, and it's to give back and utilize the talents that we have. You squeezed a heck of a lot of juice out of that lemon, brother. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. Um, I, I, yeah, you, the next book you need to write is, is uh, how you've done all this. It's super cool. Um, where can folks follow along? Where can they learn more? Where can sure. they get a yellow T-shirt? Where can they buy the book? Um, where can they get life lessons? Where can they hire you to keynote speak? Where can they hire you to consult with their business? Oh, I'm kidding. I'm being somewhat yeah. facetious. Uh, I do have a website, which um, during this process of writing a book, I never thought I would do. Mm. But it's uh, Tony Hoffman Grit, one word, mm. Tony Hoffman, one F, two N's, grit.com. Mm. Um, I am on um, Instagram. Mm. I'm on LinkedIn and on Facebook. I don't do a lot on Facebook uh, as much, primarily LinkedIn. But those are some of the sources uh, where you can either purchase the book uh, or purchase it directly from Amazon because my website takes you to Amazon. So nice. those are some of the areas as we expand. Um, I am my own administrative person for the website, so it's a work in progress. <laughs> we are all a work in progress, yeah. my man. Do not, everybody listening, do not make the same mistake I made. Um, it's not two F's and one N. It's Tony Hoffman, one F, two N's, grit.com. Because, um, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I, I messed that up. Um, so, man, it's uh, what a what a joy. We went way longer than I <laughs> committed to you that we would go and I'm I'm sitting here feeling like I have a thousand things more I want to ask you um so we'll have to do it again absolutely and I, and I'm, I'm yeah. grateful for your time um and, and I try to end each show kind of with uh, a very specific just way of validating your 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 service your your time your care your uh the, the way and, and I can't even articulate what I want to sum up to you is um Man, like you've lived a, a life of incredible purpose and depth, and, um, and and something that that is far bigger than than your own agenda and your own mission, right? Like the the fact that you care about you know the PTSD fight and the community fight and the th the things of transformational character. You could go, you could have set sail and gone and bought a a lake house and shut it down after you're and you would have been justified to do so, but based on your career. Um, but the fact that you're, you're in it and given back still is incredibly profound, man. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, Justin. I'll uh, do, do what I can. And, uh, if you need anything from me, just say the word. That's right. Tony Hoffman grit.com. That's where we'll go. So thank you, sir. And we appreciate everything. And, uh, and certainly this time. Absolutely. Thanks. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable, so thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, 
Have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.